Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to challenge you with that video this morning, just a little fun to make you smile. We need today's revelation. So many times we, 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 we concentrate on the things that's happened in the past. And past failures keep us from future successes or, or past successes, right? Boy, in 1982, if I would have been put in, no, you're still horrible. You were horrible then, you're horrible now. Doesn't matter, right? I was thinking as I was watching the uh, as I was watching the OU game yesterday in Florida Atlantic. I was wondering if Florida Atlantic had Oprah as their defensive coordinator. You get a touchdown, you get a touchdown, you get a touchdown. You know, it was crazy, man. Everybody, they just, all kinds, man. I mean, it was crazy, you know. But even them, they can't they can't stop on that football game, right? There's another one to play next week, and another one to play next week, and another one to play next week. And so many times in our life, we we concentrate so much on that stuff that's happened in the past, and we should respect and honor those people that's gone before us. Amen. The foundations that they've poured, that they've set with tears and money and time, man, that's all important, and we should honor those people. But man, we can't get caught up in saying, well, the heydays are behind us. No way, baby. The best days are in front of me. The best days of this church, man, right, are in front of us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Don't be like Chip. So next time you get in a fight with your wife and she brings up something from a week ago or the next time you get in a fight from your husband and they bring up a, a fight from a week ago, just say, hey, baby. Let's not be Uncle Rico's here. Let's, uh, let's live for today. Amen. Hey, go ahead and open up your word to Luke 5, if you will. It's biblical. Ephesians 1 and 18, while you turn to Luke 5, says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. See, even Jesus doesn't want us to be Uncle Rico's. He just didn't put it like that. We got we to have new eyes for today. Amen. The past three weeks, pastor's been preaching a really good sermon series. I've got a ton out of it. Information, inspiration, transformation. It's really challenged me in some of the ways that I think. It's really challenged me in some of the ways that I even go into my prayer room and prayer closet. So I have no intention of regurgitating everything that he said, but to say that I'm not stirred up about it, to say that I'm not happy about it, say that I'm not glad that I listened to it would be not true, okay? It was funny yesterday, we, or, uh, it's not funny that we were doing a funeral. We were doing a funeral here, and I was thinking, man, I got some new words. And then, uh, and then pastor's talking about, uh, Pastor Dow, how one of his favorite messages to give at funerals was the three hopes and I was thinking I'm just going to repeat what he says <laughs> I ain't got anything new you think you have something new amen but then God encouraged me he said hey man if you're preaching what other people are preaching that's good it's when you start preaching stuff that nobody's heard of people's like whoa right yeah that's, drink the Kool-Aid no man the spaceship let's all get in the TP and no it's bad man it's bad okay hey Luke 5 uh, just so my people know up there in the, in the front, we're not going to read it all. Probably that first slide there. One day Jesus was standing beside Lake Gennesaret when the crowd pressed in around to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and was washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats that belonged to Simon. We also know him as Peter. Then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down, taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said, Simon, row out further into the deep water and drop your nets. Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Our hearts are bowed to you. We need your help. Amen. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole story this morning. Uh, one is for time. The other one is, it's a very familiar story. You guys know this. 
Peter is just fished all night. He's tired. Jesus comes up. And one of the reasons why they push slightly out to the water, because whenever you speak, your voice echoes off the water, and it kind of carries kind of out as a megaphone. So he said, push me out a little bit further here. So he pushed him out. And then after he got done teaching, he said, go ahead, let's go out and let's go fishing, Peter. But you have to go out to this place called the deep and wide. Whenever he said, hey, let's go out to the deep, what he was saying is, let's go out to the center of the lake. Let's get out of the shallow and narrow where we dock boats. Think of a boat ramp. A boat ramp is what? Shallow and narrow, right? He said, let's get away from these boat ramps. Let's go out to the deep and to the center. And of course, Peter says, hey, we've been fishing all night, but I'll go because you said to go. Then, he, then he get, they get in the boat and they row out there and they go out to the deep and wide. And that's where the miracle happens, Right? There's three or four different characters in this story. There's people who sat along the shore that was watching all this. There were people who were in the boat with Jesus and Simon or Peter. And there's also another boat that they waved to say, come on. So there's so many different people that are sitting back and watching these. But the only people that really had the guts was actually Peter because he's the one that said, we'll do it because he was kind of the boss. James and John went with him. So they're in the boat. Jesus said, cast your nets over the side. He does. He casts. He, they catch so many fish that they signal to their buddies. They say, come help us pick this stuff up. And the boats are near sinking. Interesting fact there if you think about it. They didn't quit fishing because there were no more fish. They quit pit fishing because there's no more capacity in the boat. Okay? So you can better believe the next time Peter went out to the deep and, and wide spot, he probably bought four or five boats, right? Because that's what we do. we got to learn from that. But they're out there and they fill the boats up. And, G and what does Peter do? Peter falls down at the feet of Jesus and he says, Get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. See, that's the cool thing about the deep and wide. The deep and wide challenges you to find out who you are. It talks about who, it challenges you to notice who Jesus is and who you are. And less about me and more about him, right? And that's what he found out when he got out there. But he was part of this great miracle and people were, people were, were astonished is what it says. I think for me the challenge is I don't want to just be astonished, man. I want to be in part of the miracle, amen. I want to be in the boat. Push me out to the deep. Let's see what can happen. There's some authority that we can take there, amen. There's some stuff that we can do. Now, what I want to challenge you with is some characteristics of people who are trying to push out in the deep and wide. Or maybe you're going out to the deep and wide, or maybe you're there. And today I want to challenge us with some of those characteristics. Will that be fine? Amen? Amen. Let's start out with number one here. Deep and wide Christians rely on hope. Hebrews 11 and 1 says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Okay? Now, very familiar scripture once again. I understand that. But so many times we take hope and we put it on the back shelf. I've tried everything else, God. Now I'm finally going to hope that you'll show up. And that's not what hope is meant for. Hope is to give us a future, right? It's, it, hope is there that we can be encouraged. That if we know that if we continue to do the things that God tells us to do, we can get it. Why? Because hope activates our faith. Hope activates your faith. If you think about the centurion in Matthew 8, the centurion was a guard for the Roman and, and he was hated by the Jews, no doubt. He had about 100 men underneath him. And what did he do one day? He went out looking for Jesus. He said, I've got a servant that I need you to heal. And if you'll just speak the word, he'll be healed. And he says, I'm a man under authority and I understand authority. All you got to do is speak the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus looked at him and said, wow, great faith have I found here. And he said, go, your servant is, he is healed. But you know what he had to do? He had to activate his faith. He didn't have to. He, co he couldn't care what the 100 men below him thought, could he? He couldn't care about the thousand men above him. He just said, I got to look for Jesus. I don't care if I'm a Roman and I'm not a Jew. I got to find this man named Jesus, right? I've heard about him. I've talked about People's talked about him, so I've got to go encounter him. But what does it do? It says it, he activated his faith. Amen? 
Hope is also important because it makes us forward thinkers. Not only does it activate our faith, but it makes us forward thinkers. If we're forward thinkers, we're constantly thinking ahead. Okay, forward, forward thinkers means, if I'm a forward thinker, it means I got some hope in my kids that they're going to go to college. I might need to start a college fund, right? Might need to start a wedding fund. I might need to start some of this stuff now, right? Because I believe that my kids are going to go make something of themselves. If I believe that I'm the one for the next promotion, I'm going to start preparing myself now. Even if I get passed over, that's okay because I got hope that the Lord has my back. And what I'm going to do right now is start preparing myself. That way the boss next time, if he says no, it's, it's everything that he's got to say no. Does that make sense? Because I got hope because it makes me a forward thinker. What do I have to plan? How do I have to position myself? That way I can be in the middle of God's blessing. Amen? Amen. We have goals and visions and plans. It also helps us make priorities, right? Forward thinking, we got to set priority. The thing we don't want to talk about more than anything is death, right? Not fun. Ooh. And we sang about it this morning, where's your sting? It's still not fun, but it helps us get our priorities in line. It helps us get uh, our situations and stuff in line. It helps us ask some of those deep questions, right? It's tough, I know, and it's not fun. And I'll say it with a smile to make you feel good. <laughs> but it makes us a forward thinker, okay? Amen. And John 14, 1 and 4, it says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you. You know the way and the place that I'm going. Now, this would have been super important to the crowd that he was talking about. Back in the Jewish days, they would, uh, the, the, the men would go up and propose to the, uh, to the woman, and he would go talk to that woman's dad and said, I have two goats, three sheep, and, and four turtles. I don't know why they needed turtles. We'll just throw turtles in there, okay? And what he was saying is, I'm not going to bargain with you here. I'm not switching on what he's saying is, I can provide for your daughter. Today, it might be called a job, right? Okay, I have a job, yeah. It's like the young man that went in there, and the guy was talking to him. He said, you want to marry my daughter? She, he goes, yes, I do. He goes, well, where are you going to live? Jesus will provide. He goes, well, how about the car you need to drive? He goes, Jesus will provide. He said, well, well you know, how about, how about shoes and clothes? He goes, Jesus will provide. He goes, well, how about food? He goes, Jesus will provide. The father-in-law goes to work the next day, and the guy said, well, what would you think about your new son? He goes, I don't know, but I think I'm Jesus. <laughs> right? Okay? We've we got to prepare ourselves. We've got to get our priorities. Now, this is the thing, okay? This is the thing. Jesus, see, listen to me. Listen to me. The place is prepared before the person. Okay? The place is prepared before the person. Okay? Why? Because God knows we're not good at wondering. Okay? There's nothing fun about that. We're not productive when we're wondering. He's got your next place prepared for you. What's your next step in life? What are you going to do? Do you want that promotion? Is it another child? Is it another place to live? What, what, what is it? He's got that place prepared for you, but you've got to get yourself prepared because the place is waiting on you. Amen? We're not good at wondering. We're not good at wondering. Check this out. Forward thinkers, they learn to take step after step after step. I know the scripture. You know the scripture. We believe in it. Psalms 30 and 5. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But what happens when joy seems so far away? What happens when it seems like the morning's never going to get here? What do you do? My hope is in the Lord, and I know once the morning gets here, I know the joy's right behind it, but the physical pain is too much to manage right now. I, I see, I've been sitting beside this bed of my loved one for so many days. 
You don't understand, I was really planning on that promotion because I had some plans for the money and not necessarily to be selfish, but to help push my family forward. But what do you do? What do you do when you've been looking for a job and looking for a job? Maybe you have one, but it's not what you want. You're trying to make ends meet, doing the best you can. Anybody ever been there, right? And joy seems so far away. In the morning, we can't even see the sun's sunrise. That's the encouraging thing about being a forward thinker. That's the encouraging thing about understanding hope. Is it makes us take that next step and that next step and that next step and that next step. I know that that, that morning's coming. I know that when morning gets here, joy is going to come. So I'm going to keep taking the step and keep taking the step and keep taking the step. Amen? That's what forward thinkers do. That's what when you push out into the deep and wide because God's going to put you in some places. It's going to be kind of tricky. And you're going to find out a lot about yourself. Think about it. Before they pushed out, Peter was like, God, we've already done it. We've already fished on. I had to say something, right? Because he's in the shallow and narrow. Hadn't really experienced anything. You know? Had to say something and yeah, 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 yeah. Now when we're out in the deep and wide and he sees the miracle happen, he goes, God, I'm a sinner and you are Jesus Christ. Why? Because he finds more about him than he does himself. But we've got to be out in the deep and wide. Ooh, here's a fun one. Hope helps us handle the answer No. Ooh, do we even say no in our culture anymore? I don't know. Maybe the only no I've heard is no. Not one person gets a trophy. Everybody gets one. You got 18th place. It doesn't matter. All right. Everybody get, get in line. Oh, come on. You know it's true. Right? Okay? No, right? Mar- if you've been married for a minute. <laughs> yeah. And everybody that's not laughing, when you get married, you get it. You've been married for a minute, right? Hey, baby. What you doing? Yep. Nope. Doesn't matter what I was doing because I'm not doing it with you. Get back on the couch. <laughs> Come on now. And you know it's not the, the man most of the time, right? The man could be sick on the couch. His wife walks by in the right t-shirt, stepping the right way, and he's up beside her. Hey, how are you doing today? Miraculous healing, man, right? And you're going to get the same answer. The answer is no. Go sit down. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Give me an amen here. Help me out, okay? You know it's true now, okay? But on the more serious side, right, there's also other no's that we have to handle. Uh, baby, I know we've been playing, playing on a vacation. We've been working really hard, but, man, we had too many medical bills. I know that this month we were supposed to go look at new cars and you deserve one and we deserve one. We've been working hard, but it just didn't happen. Sorry. The answer is no. You were right. You were in the mix for the promotion, man. People believes in you, but your boss still says no. Maybe leadership, right? Do you think I'm ready for this next step? Do you think I, you think I can take it on? Do you think I can be great in it? No, you're really not prepared for it yet. See, no's are not easy to handle. That's the reason why we got to have hope. An immature Christian, a person who wants to stay on the shallow and narrow, whenever their wife or husband turns them down, they're going to be like, well, they just don't value me. They don't respect me. A person that's shallow and narrow, whenever they can't afford that vacation, they'll pull that credit card out and say, baby, let's go have the vacation of our lifetime, and we'll pay for it later. And you're right. You're going to be paying for it later, baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? 20 years down that road there, you guys are still paying for that vacation you took. Oh, my boss, he's just showing favoritism. It's just a good old boy system. That's all it is, just showing favoritism. No raise, they're just being mean. 
But see, in Matthew 5 and 37, it says this. It says, but let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. For whatever is more or less is from the evil one. And what he was trying to say is we've got to handle yes and noes. We've got to handle those straightforward answers. The reason why is because it cuts out the confusion. What, what have we learned in Sunday school? What have we learned up in, up, up in the church? And I, I, I can quote it now. Division, division is devilish. Diversity is good or godly. Division, division is devilish. And whenever people don't know what you're saying, you got communications mixed up and everybody's going crazy and you don't know what's going on, all it is is a bunch of confusion and you got a bunch of angry people because nobody really knows what to do, right? That's the reason why you got to be mature about it and say yes or no and then handle that answer. See, a mature Christian, one who wants to push out into the deep, will say, okay, let's be a problem solver here. Honey, you're not physically into it today. What happened at work today? Have I devalued you in some way? Do we need to sit down and talk about it? Instead of going on a vacation, okay, we can't go on a vacation, we can't go to Disney World, we can't go to the ocean, but can we go to maybe Six Flags for a day or two? Can we go up to the city? Maybe rent a hotel room and get away. See, we become problem solvers. It's all about how we answer it, right? Having a decision next time that promotion comes up, I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to be so prepared that the boss can't say no because I have hope that if I do what I'm supposed to, the Lord has my back and he's going to push me on through. Amen? Amen. See, a deep and wide Christian can handle no. A deep and wide Christian can handle no. Deep and wide Christians also seek their individual anointing. Now, before we get jump off the deep end here, okay, the, this anointing is really, it's the presence of God specific to you. I guess that's one of the best ways to put it. What is your situation? Do you teach? Do you work in a corporation? Do you, are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Whatever your situation is, God will give you a specific anointing to handle that. Sometimes when we talk about anointing, we think, well, it's just pastors and the way that they teach, but that's not it at all. God gives us an individual anointing. See, God wants me to be successful, but guess what he wants you guys to be too? Successful, amen? Yeah, he wants the world to look at us and be like, what in the world? They got it going on, right? And when they don't have it going on, they still love me. Does that make sense? So we got to seek that individual anointing. In Isaiah 10 and 27, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that this burden shall be taken off thy shoulder, and thy yoke from thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, a yoke is a device that they would stick on oxen or horse that would tie them to their wagon. It would tie them to their plow. It would tie them to whatever was behind them. And what this scripture is referring to is the Assyrians were pushing the Jews and, 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 and telling them they were taxing them and doing all these heavy things that they couldn't hardly handle. And he was saying it's coming to an end. The Assyrians will no longer continue to have your hand, their hand upon you. So when he was saying the yoke was off, matter of fact, he said that the blessing of God is going to come so rich on you that you're going to become so fat that they can't even fit the yoke on you or it's going to break. Hey, that's pretty good, right? Mentioning fat in the Bible like that, I like that, baby. Okay? Blessing, right? Okay? But, he, but, he, but that yoke, now that's what the anointing does is it destroys that yoke. That yoke has people attached to their sin. It has them attached to hopelessness. It has them attached to confusion. I, there's some people that all they operate in, like my daughter would say, is the cray-cray. Okay? If, if their life's not crazy, if they don't have 57 things to say and things aren't going right, they don't know how to operate in it. Why? Part of the reason is because that's all they've ever been attached to. That's their yoke. And the anointing breaks that. Let's look at a couple examples here. In 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, it talks about this man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. Elisha was the one that was going to take his spot. 
They were walking, Elijah was walking across the field and he took his cloak, which would, which would resemble the anointing, and he took it and he just brushed it over Elisha. And Elisha stopped plowing. And he was like, wow, I've never felt anything like that before. See, the anointing, the spiritual anointing, you're talking to somebody in your situation. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's, maybe it's a youth, whatever your situation is. Maybe it's your son or your daughter or, or maybe your mom or dad or whatever the situation is. And in the middle of the subject, you're talking about something. All of a sudden, they take a deep breath and they're like, whoa, I've never felt anything like that before. Because it's that love that's been breaking down some barriers and breaking down some walls. Does that make sense? It's that spiritual anointing. And, and whenever Elijah felt that, man, he took, his, his, took his, 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 his plows and different things and he burned them and he boiled the ox meat and he fed everybody and then he went to follow, follow Elijah because he said, I ain't never felt anything like that before. See, that's the spiritual anointing. People will come to you. It's that, it's that co-worker at work that's super obnoxious and annoying and they always want to sit beside you at lunch because it might be the only time in their life they feel peace. I'm telling you, it's that super noxious kid in your class or whatever subject you teach or whatever you do and you're hanging out with and he just wants to be around you. Why? Because he ain't never felt like nothing like that at all. He goes home to a life that is not a conducive into the environment that we're in. And that's the spiritual anointing. The physical anointing is whenever Elisha, Elijah's gone on, Elisha wraps that mantle around his head and walks up to the Jordan River and strikes it and he goes, where's the God of Elijah? And the waters part. See, all the river knew to do up to that point is what? Flow. It's going to drag stuff and destroy stuff and reroute land. and It's going to make a mess of things and it's going to flood. But whenever the anointing hit it, it stopped doing what it was doing. Why? Because it had to obey the anointing because it was from the Lord. So all of a sudden, now you got that person that's hanging around you. And, you, and they start changing and they don't know why. It's because that anointing that you've been seeking for your life. Oh, it's been seeping off you and all of a sudden they're going to stop doing some stuff, right? And they don't know why and it's going to open up walls and tear down barriers and all of a sudden you're going to be having deep conversations. Why? Because this is what God called us to do. Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, right? Right before that though it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth and that Jesus lives in our heart. So when I begin to speak, I want the anointing to flow out of me and walls and barriers to fall down. I want to be able to respond to it because there's some people's lives that God's got for me to change. Amen? And us too. Praise the Lord. Amen. Seek your individual anointing. That's what mature, deep, and wide Christians want. You guys getting something out of this today? Good. Deep and wide Christians also realize that, man, it's a spiritual battle. Now, we've heard this a hundred times, and it's scary. Because you start talking about spiritual things and people think we're going to drag in some snakes and we start kissing, you know. We were talking about an FCA the other day. If we wanted a crowd, all we need to do is bring in a snake and tell them we're going to charm it, man. I bet the entire uh, Comanche high school would show up to see us get bit on the face by a, no, by a snake, right? So whenever you talk, start talking about spiritual stuff, people's like, oh, it's kind of scary. And I understand that. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 and 12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of darkness of the world, against spiritual forces and, and evil in the heavenly realms. In 2 Timothy 4 and 7, it says this, I fought the good fight of faith. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith, recognizing the spiritual battle will increase your understanding of footholds from the devil. Jude 1 and 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about the common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for your faith. 
Think about Paul there. What is Paul saying? We know that Paul was drugged into the streets and beat. We knew that he was, he, they believed that he was taken out and beheaded as his last stand. Preached gospel all over what he knew as the world. Persuade people in synagogues for two or three or four or five days. But I've never read, read of him throwing a punch. But yet he said, I fought the good fight of faith. What is he saying? It's a spiritual battle. That's what I fought. And I like Paul, man, right? I'm sure, I think that whenever they were dragging him out and about to behead him, I don't think that he was going out as, hey, I'll go quiet into that night. You know what I mean? I look at him, his hands are all crippled up from where he's taking the beatings. Maybe he don't walk right. He's got a thorn in his side. It might be his sight dimming or something like that. And he's walking out there as they're leading him. He goes, I fought the good fight of faith. I've ran the race. I've done what God's told me to do. Why? Because he understood. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Why is it so important for us to understand spiritual battles? Once we recognize that this is a spiritual battle, it'll help us understand footholds. Footholds are these meaningless things in our life that we think, ah, it's not that big a deal. It's that old song that you used to listen to before you got saved that brings back, conjures up some memories. It's that friend on Facebook that you probably shouldn't say yes and like it. It's the follower on Snapchat. About 80% of their material is pretty good, but about 20% is not worth a darn. It's that TV show that we watch. About 89% is pretty good, but man, it's got that 10% that's pretty racy. Because see, if we don't take and understand these footholds and these snares is what the Bible also refers to them, the snares of the devil, the traps of the devil, they turn into this thing called a stronghold. And we as Christians already fight strongholds. We don't need more of them. Let me prove it to you. In the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel, whenever David gets, becomes king, he has this place called Hebron. Hebron's the capital of Israel. He wants Jerusalem to be capital of Israel, but he can't do it. You know why? Because the Jebusites have it. And it's not until seven and a half years later after he becomes king that he defeats the, defeats the Jebusites and takes over, uh, takes over Jerusalem. But that whole seven and a half years, he was doing what God told him to do. He was anointed three different times to be king, right? He was trying to run the country the best that he could. He was doing all that. But what did he have in his life? He had a stronghold. And he had to rely on God. See, we already have to fight those. If you think about Samson, though, Samson brought some of those onto himself. If you do a little bit of study on Samson, his first wife tricked him. He got upset. He said these. He said, he said this. Excuse me. He said this. He says, I have the right. And what he was talking about is he took some foxes by the tails and tied them, burned a bunch of people's uh, livelihood is what he did. But he said, though, I have the right. And then he goes on and what happens? They even try to convince him when his first wife, his, his mom and dad, said, why can't you just find somebody around here? And he totally just... Doesn't even listen to them. Dishonors them, disrespects them. Ooh, not good youth. Don't disrespect your parents. Then he gets into a situation, and now we know the story, right? Because it was these little footholds that he had in his life. I have the right. I'm entitled. It's my decision. Is it really? It sounds like a pride foothold, right? We got to be careful about that because it's going to turn into a stronghold. And then what happened to that stronghold in Samson's life? It wound up running his life. He got his eyes gouged out. And in the last act of valor, he pushed pillars apart and killed a bunch of Philistines. But there's no way anybody can convince me that he lived up to his full potential. Because he didn't take care of those footholds in his life. He didn't take care of them. 
Now, you can't have strongholds in your life that are good. In Psalms 9 and 9, it says this, the Lord will also be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So what are you giving yourself to? You can create strongholds in your life. Maybe if you're struggling with the series and you really like it, Maybe if you're struggling with books or whatever the case might be, start reading more of the Bible. Start reading, start listening to more Christian music. Create those strongholds in your life that are positive, right? Create those strongholds in your life that will guide you and direct you and bring you to the cross instead of push you away, right? Amen. Spiritual battle also helps us change our perspective from the spiritual, or from the physical to the spiritual. So many times in our life we realize that this is a spiritual fight, but we look in the physical and we cannot be carnally minded when we, when we look at it. We're going we're gonna to visit on the prodigal son for a minute here. Now listen, I understand we, we've talked about the prodigal son and different things a couple times this past three, three or four weeks, but I want, you, I want to bring you to a situation with him. Think about the muck and the mire in the pen. Whose fault was the muck, muck and the mire in the pen? It was the pigs, right? Anybody's got any pigs in your life? Yeah, you got some stuff on you, got some emotional damage that's not your fault. Come on now, it's all right. You got some stuff that's happened, but this is the thing, this is the hard part about it. It was his choice to wallow in it. It was his choice to wallow in it. But see, he let that transformational thinking come over him. What did he say? He said, even a servant in my father's house has it better. That's funny because I remember a scripture in the Bible saying what? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. All of a sudden, that's what God called us to be as a servant, right? And he found that out. He found out that if I go back and repair that relationship with my father, he got the information and then he got that transformational thinking that led him from that pen. See, we have that too, guys. We have this information in the word. We have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and we can choose to put on that helmet of salvation, right? And we can choose to choose that other mindset and baby, when we do, I think David Crowder in his song puts it well. I got the King of Kings and the Lord of Hosts. I've got angel armies and the Holy Ghost. I've got spirits filled and baptized by fire. I got a valley of bones that came alive. I got a cross, a hill in the empty grave. I got a trumpet sound and one sweet name. Shake the gates of hell. It's finished and it's done. I got my Jesus and the devil got to run. Why? Because he realized that it's the spiritual battle. He realized what the young man in the pen did. He realized the revelation. It's not about the stuff. It's, it's not about the authority that you get with the stuff. It's not even about the friends that you get with the authority and the money and stuff, right? It's about that relationship with Jesus Christ. And I got good news for you, baby. Once we figure that out, the pen can't hold us, right? We're out of the pen and the muck and the mire can't stick to us. And we're going back. And we can take that authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. We got to be serious about this. You got to be protecting your kids from anxiety and depression and people in your family. You got to be grabbing some devils by the nap of the neck like they're trying to break into your house and steal your kids because they mean to. Amen? We got to take our authority that Jesus Christ has given us and it's in his name that we come up against you and say, depression, you can't have my kids. Uh, anxiety, you can't have my kids. I know that when Tanner and I go to school, that is our desire and our purpose. That God, the Spirit is anointing, is flowing through us and we don't go in there and be freaky and put our hands on kids and cast out demons, okay? But we do sit out at a table and we share meals with them or do whatever in hopes that the anointing of God will flow all of us because we decided a long time ago that we're not going to let anxiety have our kids. We're not going to let depression have our kids. We were meant to make a footprint in the school system and that's what God's put on us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, baby. I'm winding the bird down. Don't worry about it. Okay. In Psalms 37.5, 
Now listen, it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. If you do a quick word swap and get in your strongs, something I learned in mentoring class, you need to take it if you haven't. It's a good class. That word commit your way to the Lord, that word commit, can also be changed out to wallow. So you get to choose what you wallow in. And what you wallow in, you smell like. What you wallow in, you smell like. So if you choose to commit or wallow in the way of the Lord and trust in him and let him have you, oh baby, you're going to be smelling like Jesus. You're going to be looking like Jesus. But if you stay in that old mire and that old pig pen and you choose to let that stuff run your life, all you're going to do is bring more, track more pigs. <laughs> okay? We don't want to track more, right? Now, Grady, you got me? Now, whenever you understand this transformational thinking, you, you kind of go in. At first, you're going into your prayer room and you got your five, five uh, verses and you're going to, devil, you can't have my kids. But once you understand that transformational thinking, it's not, we'll see you again. Once you understand that transformational thinking and you put that helmet of salvation on and you choose to walk in it, all of a sudden you walk in a new tune, okay? Instead of it doing that, you're saying another one's going to bite the dust. Devil, you can't have my kids. You can't have them. Anxiety and depression. Okay, I've already prayed profitableness over my, my family. I've already prayed that my marriage is strong. And another one's got to bite the dust. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? Yeah, I got some shoulders rocking on that one, right? Yeah. yeah that's You take it differently in your prayer room because you understand the authority of God, right? Now, I'm not saying go in there in your quiet time and be rocking it out to, to Queen. Don't do that, okay? Don't, that shouldn't be your background music, okay? Don't do that. Okay? Bad. Bad. Don't do that. And this is where I land tonight. Listen, we got to be strategic in what we do. We got to be strategic in what we do. And as we go into our, our, as we go into the schools or to our jobs or to wherever we go, we can't be like Jackie Chan and kick down the door and start putting our hands on people and casting out devils, okay? It's going to freak everybody out. But what I can do is handle that during my personal time, during my quiet time. When I'm People are, not me, because I don't put on makeup, but when people put on makeup, when ladies put on makeup, and be casting out some devils from your house, chase them out. When you're getting a shower in the morning, go ahead and be praying and getting yourself prepared. When you're, when you're listening uh, to the radio in your car and Christian music and you're driving up to your job, go ahead and be preparing yourself. And what happens is, is God's going to create some relationships in your life and you're going to see some barriers go, um, come down and all of a sudden you're going to be linked hands with that, with that person that you've been praying for and that you've been asking. And they're going to come up to you and say, oh, do you think Jesus, you think Jesus can help me in my situation? Do you think he could ever love or save somebody? And on the inside, on the inside, you're just going to chuckle. Go ahead and chuckle. Go, ha, 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 ha. But on the outside, you're calm and cool. Why? Well, they don't know it, but, but on the inside, you're, you're not. You're, you're lit up. Why? Because you done casted out devils out of your house before you got through your first cup of coffee. Before you took, took a bite of your first biscuit, you already claimed stuff in your house, right? Claim stuff over your family. Claim stuff over this church. Claim stuff, right? Oh, baby. But on the outside, you're calm. Oh, God can help you. He loves you. He really does. Let's pray. You know what I mean? But you got to be careful how you handle yourselves. Would you guys stand with me? In Matthew 10 and 16, it says, Look, I'm sending you a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as wise as snakes and innocent as doves. What is he saying? Be strategic. Take your authority. 
Because what did he say to those 12, what did he say to those 120 before he sent them out? I give you the authority to do it. Go do it, but be strategic. So for us to be deep and wide Christians, guys, we've got to get out of the shallow and narrow. God's called some of you, yeah, you're shallow and narrow on businesses. Maybe that's sowing more seed. Maybe that's an expansion on your business. I don't know what it is. I can tell you this, youth, and I'm going to put this challenge out to you here in a second. We're going to have an altar call. If you want your schools changed, if you want people in the growth, youth to grow, if you want to grow, then you'll blaze a trail down this altar and get on your knees and begin to cry out to God. I'm telling you. I did it the past three sermons, man, up here on the steps. Be hungry for God. Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.